Welcome to this podcast episode of Narcissists in Divorce, The Narcissist Trap. I'm Dr. Supriya McKenna. I'm a former family doctor, but my life's true work is working with people who have fallen prey to narcissistic relationships of any kind. But I'm particularly busy in the area of divorce. Over the last few years, I've been very proud to become an Amazon best-selling author on the subject of narcissism, and my brand new book, Narcissists in Divorce, From Love Locked to Leaving, is out right now on Amazon. That's the first book in the Narcissists in Divorce series, and the follow-on to that will be out in the spring, and that's called Narcissists in Divorce, From Leaving to Liberty. And please do note that although I use the word divorce, these books are equally applicable to anyone leaving a serious intimate relationship with a narcissist, whether they are married or not. I also have a book out called The Narcissist Trap, The Mind-Bending Pull of the Great Pretenders. And that book might be useful in helping the people around you who are supporting you to understand more about what happened to you and about narcissism generally. I'm also the co-author with British divorce lawyer Karen Walker of Narcissism and Family Law, a practitioner's guide. And between us, Karen and I have trained thousands of family law professionals in narcissistic personality disorder, including judges, lawyers, mediators and social workers. For further narcissism resources from me, please do visit thelifedoctor.org or drsapria.com. And that web address has the doctor fully spelt out. Today, Karen and I are very pleased to be able to welcome a special guest onto the show because today we are joined by Dr. Daksha Hirani. Now, Daksha is a chartered clinical psychologist. She's Associate Fellow of the British Psychological Society and she's a member of the Healthcare Professional Council. Daksha's had over 20 years of experience in the field of clinical psychology and crucially, one of her specialist areas is working with those who have suffered from narcissistic abuse, whether that be at the hands of a partner, a parent, a sibling, friend, work colleague or boss or anyone else. Daksha has a private practice in London and if you want to reach her, her website is www.parmi.co.uk and that's Parmi, P-A-R-M-I. So thank you so much for joining us, Daksha. Thank you very much, Supriya, lovely. And Karen, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's our pleasure. And we just have got some topics that we'd like very much to discuss with you. And if maybe I can start um, with the first one, which is that there's a lot of concern amongst people that Supriya and I encounter as to why it is that narcissistic personality disorder is not as well recognized as an entity here in the UK, um, both by professionals and the general public. And we just wondered whether you have a view as to why that is. Um, Absolutely. I think there are many, many reasons why it's not recognized. But firstly, uh, narcissistic personality disorder is so good at being disguised. And, Mm. uh, you know, you get people who are very powerful, they're very uh, charismatic, very successful in quotation marks, you know, sort of they've got the power, they've got the wealth, and they're rewarded. Their mental disorder is hidden. And uh, it's very easy for them to, to hide this and cloak it. Whereas with other personality disorders, the behaviors manifest in such a way that they are not 
functioning in society. I guess they present as being very successful, very charming, um, the sort of person that people like to be friends with. And therefore, the idea that they may be suffering from a personality disorder is quite surprising. I mean, that's why so many clients that we have don't realise what it is they've been subjected to until um, quite a long way down their path. Um, it's something that builds up over time rather than being immediately apparent. Absolutely, I agree. And I, I was sort of thinking with this, narcissism doesn't always present in, in ways where the, the person is very successful or particularly magnetic in their personality because obviously um, we've got the kind of closet narcissists who present in quite a different way so they don't appear to be successful they don't draw people to them they can be quite shy and quite self-effacing but the behaviors the underlying abusive behaviors are very similar to so they the devaluing behaviors and the invalidation etc they're very similar so it's not always the fact that they look very successful I think but again these these um, closet narcissists or covert narcissists they hide under the radar I mean they hide they hide in plain sight narcissists hide in plain sight and society actually rewards the successful ones um, for their narcissism that's that's how I've sort of seen it um, Supriya, I think you're very right, because you see, uh, whilst the popular sort of narcissist, when people say narcissist, we always sort of go towards the, the grandiose, the malignant ones. Mm. But then what people forget is that, you know, for example, with some of the closet ones would be victim narcissists or somatic narcissists, where they've got illnesses upon illness, and they soak in all the attention and the validation they get, like, oh, poor them, poor them. But the reason they manifest in that themselves is not because they want to get better and remove themselves from the the predicament they're in. It's to Mm. soak in that validation that, oh, gosh, you're poor me. So the intention behind their behavior is always unwholesome. And and also that's true of the altruistic narcissist. So they might look like they're, you know, the most giving or the most caring or the most kind. Um, you know, they might be involved with charities or, or whatever. Um, but actually their motivation for their altruism is, is as you say, unwholesome. Mm-hmm. It's essentially in order to get that feeling of being special. So getting external validation from other people. Absolutely. Were you trained in personality? Were you trained in narcissistic personality disorder as part of your training? Well, no. Exactly. Yeah, I knew I knew that would be the answer because <laughs> because it's always the answer. I mean, I find it shocking. I have clients who've been clinical psychologists saying, oh, "I can't believe it." You know, I, I sort of I knew nothing about this, and now I'm suffering at the hands of a narcissist. Nobody seems to know anything about it, including my own profession. And the same with doctors. I mean, probably my largest client base, I would say, is um, is doctors, particularly GPs. And I have had psychiatrists actually contact me as well and say, "Why did I not know about this?" And and I mean we just don't train people in this country in personality disorders as you've said the fact that we have an NHS and the fact that we need to sort of train people in the things that are going to reach the inpatient services rather than things that are just going to cause havoc in society it's quite worrying really and then and then drop that down to the legal profession who are dealing with um, people at their worst in terms of their emotional situation and very frequently um, having one or other spouse who suffers from this disorder who have no training at all in how to deal with um, people who are going to present in this way Um, and and so are then guiding people at a a really pivotal moment in their in their lives without the full understanding of what it is they're dealing with 
Absolutely. And I'll tell you, when I was studying for my doctoral training, uh, we were 15 people on our cohort. We had a, a lecture in personality disorders of which narcissistic personality disorder was mentioned. But in terms of what does that actually mean? How does it impact? We weren't taught. Now, of course, going into a, a doctor's profession or going into clinical psychologist's mm. professional, you know, we will be high on the empathy level. Mm. And uh, we found that of the 15 of our cohort, five of us have suffered narcissistic abuse. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, and this is what I ha hear all the time. Why did I not know about this? A couple of my friends from medical school are psychiatrists. And obviously, I've, I've talked to them about this. And um, one of them said, well, sorry, what's the difference between narcissistic personality disorder and borderline personality disorder? And the other one said, well, that's not in the international classification of disease. So, you know, is it a real thing? And so, you know, you're sort of banging your head against a brick wall. And we need to mm. change this. We need to bring this personality disorder into into education because actually it causes a lot more damage I think in society than people actually realize yeah and of course one of the reasons that we wrote the publications that we did was very much to raise awareness but for those people who are looking for information it's really a bit of a minefield out there for them because there's mm -hmm. not that much available and it's difficult to distinguish between what is sort of genuine supporting advice and information and what is more towards a bit of a novelette that is not quite as focused on the exact issues so that I think is really difficult too. Yeah no, I agree. We have a problem here then if healthcare professionals aren't being trained in narcissistic personality disorder what are your thoughts, Daksha? I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on, on members of the general public actually having to make their own diagnoses. And I put that in, in inverted commas, if you like, because realistically, they're not going to be able to get the suspected narcissist in their lives actually formally diagnosed. And some people will say, oh, well, it's absolutely terrible. Members of the general public shouldn't have to make a diagnosis. And, you know, I sort of agree with that. It can be harmful if they're uninformed. But what, what choice have they got if, if healthcare professionals can't do it for them? Here's the thing that I would say to them. Is it helpful for you to uh, label somebody as a narcissist so that it can equip you with the tools that you need to build yourself in order to protect yourself from them? If that is what you need to do, then I would say go ahead yeah. and diagnose wherever the heck you need to diagnose if it means that you're going to be able to protect yourself. Absolutely. Having somebody formally diagnosed, I don't think is actually very helpful uh, in terms mm -hmm. of uh, accountability, yeah. they're not going to be accountable regardless. I've caught, have had people no. who've been formally diagnosed, mm -hmm. they've been sent away, then they think, right, you see, they have got a formal diagnosis. Well, that doesn't change their behavior. It doesn't change the way that they're going to be affected by that person. No. And it explains their behavior. They can go, well, I can't help it. I've got narcissistic personality mm. disorder. Mm. As you say, narcissistic individuals don't take accountability. They're not accountable for their behavior. And this just gives them another excuse for their behavior. But you said in sickness and in health, they can say, uh, it's not my fault. I've got this sickness. I've got narcissistic personality disorder. You need to stay with me um, regardless of the behaviours because it's not my fault. And it's, mm. it's true. It's not their fault. It's almost a further validation, isn't it? And that can then, we'll come to it later, hopefully, but, it, but that then aids the trauma bonding. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, because, because that you, you feel like you then, you then have to stay with somebody who is sick. Yes, of course. I can see that. You're needed and, and you don't want to reject them. And that's going to be then 
put back to you as being your yeah. fault and be blame shifting again. Absolutely. Um, and you're all into that into that circle and cycle. And it goes back to, to what Daksha mentioned earlier about people who get into narcissistic relationships tend to be empathic and they tend to be the sort of rescuers and the endless givers. Mm-hmm. And they'll just take more and more bad behavior and they'll try harder and they'll give more. And so, of course, it's it's just it's the perfect dynamic, isn't it, really, mm-hmm. for the narcissist to, with the diagnosis to, to, to want more and more and more. It's, it's just another excuse. The point being... Mm-hmm. Is it of any value getting a narcissist diagnosed? Well, actually, you know, formally diagnosed. And the answer is, is actually, I think, probably not. Not realistically, anyway. I think nothing's going to stem from it, is it? Not they, They're not going to do anything to remedy it because they won't want to and they won't see it as a problem. Um, and so, as, as Dacha rightly says, it just gives mm-hmm. them a sort of hook to hang their behaviour on. And, and on that note, you know, Karen and I always say, Dacha, you know, don't tell the narcissist that you think they're a narcissist um, because it'll never, never end well. And don't tell other people yeah. if you can. Just tell your core group of people that are going to support you through mm-hmm. this, that are going to understand that the narcissist is a narcissist. What, what's your take on that? I, th- I agree with that. And, and you know, if, if somebody says to me, is it a good idea to name and shame the narcissist because I want them to have justice, I want to, to tell the world that they've done this wrong and that they're cruel and they're horrible, I have never met anybody where it has not backfired on them. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Because they're so convincing and plausible and charming, aren't yeah. they? That, that, that yeah. Particularly that, you know, certain types are. And they're so believable. What's happened? How's it backfired? What sort of stories have you heard? I'll give you an example where uh, I met a client and her whole life fell apart. Her finances fell apart. Everything fell apart. And she said, this is wrong. And so she went on to the narcissist social media and said, look, you know, this is this person has a narcissistic disorder and they have ruined my life and they've ruined this person's life, that person, don't believe him, all of that kind of stuff. The next thing she hears is uh, a court subpoena. And and then she has to go to court for defamation of character. Oh, wow. And she actually she's actually prosecuted for that. Yeah, she's prosecuted for that. And now she is the one who's got an injunction against her. When she is first abused, She's lost mm. so much. And then there's the added trauma of this. So they don't stop. In fact, mm. for, for a narcissist who is sort of tends towards conflict, they revel in it. They yeah. will love it. They bring it on. I am yeah. so important. I am valid. I exist. Because remember, at the bottom of every narcissist is a very, very fragile ego. So if you can make that person believe that they have an influence and impact on the people around them, like they've ruined all the people's lives, you're literally giving a lot of fuel to them. You say, wow, I am amazing. I exist in this world. Yeah. Yeah, that source of narcissistic supply. I mean, we always say that they need adoration, they need attention, but they need drama and they need conflict as well. And and Karen came up with a great word, which we use all the time, mm-hmm. certainly in the context of divorce. It's annihilation. And that type of narcissist wants to annihilate their spouse in the context of divorce. And Karen, mm-hmm. you've seen that so many times. Haven't you? Oh, very often. Uh, I mean, that's the objective, particularly where the spouse has summoned the courage to leave and the and the, the narcissist has wanted them to stay within the relationship. The narcissistic rage that emerges as a consequence has got no focus whatsoever on outcome or children or finances. It's purely on destroying the person who has had the audacity to stand up to them, basically. Um, they, they just can't cope with that. They've, they've mm-hmm. stopped being um, the empathetic caregiver and they've, they've turned 
um, into an adversary, which is absolutely nothing further from what the narcissist ever imagined would happen. Going from that, one of the types of ways in which the victim will stay with the narcissist is because the narcissist becomes so dependent on the victim and the victim becomes the one-stop shop Mm -hmm. for everything. So they become their caregiver, the person who keeps the house, the person who does all their diary keeping, you know, gives them all the support, the validation, and they're exhausted, but they keep on doing it because of this trauma mm-hmm. bond. Now, if you imagine, you know, when that person wakes up one day and says, what the heck am I doing? I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. The rejection mm-hmm. that the narcissist feels is, it's how they're feeling. They're feeling annihilated. Yeah. They're feeling they have nothing. So what they do, what do they do? They project that annihilation onto that mm-hmm. other person. Says, if I'm going to feel like this, you sure as hell are going to mm, too. Yeah. Mm. Somebody described it once as feeling worse than dying. That t- sort of total mm. despair mm. Uh, from the narcissist's perspective when their world is just falling down around them. It's like an existential crisis, I think, for them. Mm. You said something, the narcissist experiencing an existential crisis and every, their whole world is crumbling down. Mm. The reality is it is crumbling down because everything was built on fakeness. Yeah, It's it's all fake. It's not real. So the, the sort of the house of cards that they've put up is so flimsy. It's got no foundation. And of course, it's crumbling down. And now they have to work hard at building another house filled with cards and another fake house. It's always fake. And this is why there's no depth to it. Yeah, that's so, so true. You know, when I hear you say that, you know, my heart just kind of goes out to the narcissist because I can't imagine living like that, Mm. living such a kind of fragile existence. I mean, obviously, it matters to everyone what people Mm. think to some degree, but for Mm. everything to be about what people think and how people perceive you, um, with no sort of sense of actual self-worth, intrinsic, internal Mm. sense of self-worth to keep you going, I can't imagine how that Mm. must feel. Here I am kind of partially excusing the narcissist, which I really shouldn't do. But that must just be horrendous. I, I agree. The two words that come to my mind, deep down, everything, it's empty and meaningless. Mm. And so they're constantly on this sort of wheel of, I mean, certainly the, the high achieving ones, are almost like yeah. a sort of, you know, a hamster wheel mm. of just trying to get more and more and more and more wealth and more power and more status and more people admire them um, all to get this narcissistic supply. It must be also why they don't settle very well, do you think? Because they, they're always moving on to the next fad. scheme or plan or fad. That's a good word. They can be quite creative, and um, I think, and, and so they'll develop something or build something, or, um, but they very quickly get bored with it and move on to something a bit like perpetually extending your house. Oh, I've done that. So I can't sit back and enjoy it. I've now got to move on to something else. And when I've like they hop from person to person as well. I mean, you've, you've said that about extending the house. And as you said that, several examples of narcissists came into my mind. The other thing is cars, I've noticed. So it's what's the mm. next car going to be? And as they, they get the next car. Um, and as they're sort of driving the next car back to, to their house, they're looking at the next car. There's a sort of perpetual sort of desperation to get to the next level um, and never really being happy with where they are. They also sort of collect things. And I think cars is a very good example of that, um, just as they collect people, um, because, of course, they'll always go back um, to previous relationships if possible. If they can afford to do it, I think they, they tend to move on to the next without 
without letting go of the first. So when they, as they drive the new car that you've alluded to down the driveway um, and are looking at the next car, they're not going to change the one they've just bought for that. They're going to get it as well if they can. And and remember, we're talking about the ones who sort of got the money. I want to also point out that the people who yeah. are in the lower socioeconomic groups, you you have narcissism there as well. So it might not be cars, mm. but it'll, buy, it'll be clothes mm. or it'll be shoes or it'll be... Uh, trinkets so it'll be things yeah. that they just need to keep i'm thinking about the sort of ebayers you know mm. building up more and more stuff mm. yeah I, mean, I never really thought of it like that before or, or the midnight shoppers who buy on those late night shopping channels and i think that might well fit into the closet narcissist description absolutely and and remember you know at the end of the day it's always the intention that i always tell clients mm. that you want to really be focused on because if somebody with very low self-esteem, somebody who feels like they're not good enough, but they're not narcissists, you might find that they compulsive shop just because they, they need, it's an avoidant behavior. Like when they get yeah. something, they feel a sense of, mm. of calm and comfort that at least, you know, I've got this feel good factor that I own this mm. thing. But the intention is not as a sense of superiority that I've got so much more than the next person next to me. Now, a narcissist is going to buy things because the thing that they're thinking is not that I've got the ownership of this. They're thinking I can show it to X, Y, Z around mm-hmm. me. It's all in reference to the people around them, looking at them and adoring them, yeah. giving them attention, giving them the narcissistic supply. Yeah, that's very interesting. My brand new book, Narcissists in Divorce, From Love Locked to Leaving, is out now. For more information and online courses about narcissism, please do check out my websites thelifedoctor.org or drsapria.com.